Wow. Can you all hear me? So strange to be preaching to an audience. Absolutely bizarre. Um, as you probably realise, us old fogies have not been out very much uh, for almost, uh, well, it's over a year, really. So it's lovely to see people and to actually be with people. Before we start, I would like to invite you to stand and I want to pray for the Queen and the Royal Family at this uh, time of grief. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for our Queen. We thank you that she loves you and that she walks with you. We thank you for her heart of service. She looked such a sad and very <clears throat> bent over uh, lady yesterday and we just want to commit her today to you for your comfort to be with her for her to know a tangible sense of your presence and embrace as she grieves and we pray for the whole family that they may know you and that they may know your love and comfort, we pray. We commend Her Majesty the Queen to you today and the whole family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, the title of my um, sermon today is not from Romeo and Juliet, but it could be um, uh, Natalie because I'm titling it Agape Love Changes Everything. I'd love to burst into song and for us all to sing that lovely Andrew Lloyd Webber song. But the song that he wrote and we all enjoy listening to was about eros, romantic love. And in the Greek in scripture there are four uses uh, of the <coughs> word love, eros for romantic love, sturge, which is about affection and typically applies to family love. There's philia, which is friendship, brotherly love, human love. And then there is agape. And this is the love that we want to focus on today and as we explore and journey through Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. This is the type of love that God embodies. It's selfless, unconditional. It's the highest form of love. So agape love truly changes everything. Now I need to give you a little bit of background. The church at Corinth was uh, founded by Paul in about AD 52. He stayed for one and a half years. It was a bustling, cosmopolitan, multicultural city, estimated population about 600,000. Uh, Two-thirds of those were probably slaves. It was a strategic hub where a number of trade routes met. And we've got a geography teacher here this morning. I'm sure he could explain to you uh, a lot more about this. It was a natural stopping-off place en route from Rome to the east. It therefore had a very much a floating population. And preaching there was likely to be widely disseminated, the teaching and preaching. 
commercially prosperous, successful, morally corrupt. And it had a culture, which is central to what I want to talk about today, of being proud, superior, self-centered, self-promoting, individualistic. Does that sound familiar in 2021? I think it's a very, very interesting reflection of probably our 21st century culture in this nation. It had 12 temples at least. One, the most infamous one, was dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And uh, many of you may have uh, seen uh, Aphrodite signified and all the legends surrounding it. It had another very famous uh, two goddesses, Dionysus and Cybele, and they were famous for going around the streets banging gongs and cymbals. Anybody who lived in Corinth would know about the worship of those two gods. It also had a temple to the god of healing. The importance of this background is that you will see already where some of the things that Paul writes about were aimed at being topical to his audience. They all knew about Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and of course when he starts talking about love, that would have uh, rung some major bells with them. When he says about symbols and gongs, uh, that would have uh, been familiar to them. Paul handed over the church to Apollos after a, a year and a half and went back to Ephesus and on his travels and ended up at Ephesus. But very soon he started getting disturbing letters and visits from people about what was going on in the church. They had deep, deep problems. So deep, in fact, it took three letters, two of which have not been preserved, and, of course, 1 Corinthians is included in that, and Paul had to make what's called the painful visit. That's what commentators called it, the painful visit, in an attempt to resolve matters. Things were bad. And I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think was the major problem in the church in Corinth? What subject do you think was the cause? I'm going to tell you, it wasn't theological necessarily. What do you think it was? Any guesses? Relational. It was all about messed up relationships. Yes, they had problems with uh, Paul's authority and... Nothing new under the sun, is there? There were factions, divisions. There was cliques in the church. Some supported Paul. Some supported Peter. Some supported Apollos. There were quarrels. One commentator I read said, there seemed to be a quarrelsome spirit in the church in Corinth. Some of them are even going to court, to pagan courts, with litigation against fellow 
believers. There was immorality. And with children here this morning, I won't go into how serious that problem was. There was an ego problem in the church. Inflated egos. They were self-seeking, self-promoting. There was rivalry, insensitivity, particularly towards those who were not so well off as they were, the poorer brethren, and they messed up communion. And then there was a big problem with the abuse of spiritual gifts. And that brings us to what we're going to be looking at today. Agape love and spiritual gifts. Now, I have no idea who watches these sermons. When you look at the number, you think, well, that's a lot of people considering the size of the church. So I have to ask this question this morning before we start, and it's this. Where do you stand on the matter of spiritual gifts today? Are you a cessationalist who believes that spiritual gifts ended with the apostles and on their death? Or are you like me that believe spiritual gifts have continued to the present day and are meant to be experienced by all Christians in every age? We're called continuationists. Where do you stand on that if you're watching today? If you don't, if you're a cessationalist, don't worry. Because I started off in that situation and I lived for many years believing that spiritual gifts had finished with the death of the apostles. And then I had a life-changing encounter 40 years ago with the Holy Spirit. And there was no way from then onwards that I could not believe and know and experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've got lots of friends who believe in the cessationalist uh, theology. People who would be very much influenced by the Calvins and Luthers of, uh, of history. But I believe and we believe as a church that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. And we need to establish that as we start. So what are they for, these spiritual gifts? These gifts of grace. Charisma, as we uh, call it. Charismatic gifts. They're spirit-endowed gifts. They're for encouragement, for edification, for the common good, for strengthening, building up. And in chapter 14, Paul says, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. They're for breakthrough, for banishing doubt, and for giving clear understanding. Let me give you an example. It happened to me in the last week. I was sitting at my dining room table doing some preparation for this talk, and my phone pinged, and Pam picked it up, and she said, oh, it's a message for you from Nikki. It's one of the lovely ladies in our life group. And she sent me a wonderful encouragement of something she felt God had shown her about me preaching and being presenced uh, by two supporting uh, angels. 
That was such an encouragement to me. What timing. God knows when it's right, doesn't he? And I had that wonderful encouragement uh, through Nikki. So, what are these spiritual gifts? Well, nine are listed in chapter 12. The message of wisdom, word of wisdom, which is the impartation of a fragment of God's wisdom for a complex, even crisis situation. Word of knowledge, when the Holy Spirit drops into our mind a fragment of God's knowledge for a specific purpose. It's not natural. It's not naturally discerned or deduced. Do you remember with Peter confronted Ananias and Sapphira with the fact that they'd left, uh, they kept back money from the purchase of the land. That was a word of knowledge. There's no way that Peter could have had that given naturally. There's the gift of faith. This is not saving faith, which we know of from Ephesians 2 and other kinds of faith. But this is a Holy Spirit imparted faith. <clears throat> the ability to believe God in an extremely difficult, complex, maybe even dangerous situation. Enabling the person to speak and act in absolute confidence. I asked our life group to give me any examples to share today. And Pete and Jilly gave me the example of their recent house purchase, which was a gift of faith given to them. They were blessed with this gift of faith for the common good. They were given a prophecy concerning getting land and Caleb getting the hill country. Wouldn't go away for six months. Their faith was strong. They found a house in the hill country with land. They had issues with the buyers, with uh, offers uh, being withdrawn. But they stood strong in faith. Pete even shared on Premier Radio their faith adventure. And then God said to them, let go. And they stood firm on this faith. What happened? The phone rang. It was a cash buyer. In lockdown, they got a cash buyer. And it's not only a home for them, it's a potential resource center with all sorts of opportunities. And also, thousands of people heard on Premier Radio about this faith situation. So it's for the common good. Do you get the, the gist of what I'm saying here? This was God giving them faith for a definite situation that is for the common good. There's the gifts of healing, and it's not singular, it's plural there. And I believe uh, <clears throat> that this is where sometimes God gives us specific gifts for certain types of conditions. In other words, that's why it's plural. Uh, some people seem to have the gift of being able to pray for people with uh, bad backs and to see God's healing at work. I remember George... Our dear brother, George Sharp, used to say that. And I've had some limited experience of praying for arthritic and rheumatic conditions and seeing God uh, miraculously work. Then there's miraculous powers. This was literally deeds of power. It's the supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit 
enabling a person to perform miraculous feats. Prophecy, supernatural ability to share simply and clearly what God has given to us. Paul in chapter 14 says, be eager, Paul starts with, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Includes with, be eager to prophesy. Discerning or distinguishing spirits is another one. Supernatural ability that God gives us to discern whether the source and origin is from the Holy Spirit, is the human spirit, or a false satanic spirit. A couple visited our church once and announced that they had got a special ministry. I and the other elders were quite concerned about it and uh, we would not encourage them to participate in their ministry. Subsequent events proved us absolutely right. They were coming from a position of an unholy spirit. So we need that discerning of spirit. Speaking in different kinds of tongues. This isn't linguistic ability or a special special ability given by God to learn a foreign language. It's a supernatural utterance in a language never learned by the speaker that's addressed Godward. And it's linked, of course, with the interpretation of tongues, which is the last one. Notice interpretation, not translation. Supernatural ability given by God to interpret a message given in another tongue. So there they are. They're the nine spiritual gifts that Paul lays out in chapter 12 and which seem to have been quite widely abused in the church in Corinth. They saw them as status symbols. They used them with superiority. If you had the gift of whatever it was, it was seen as a uh, a status symbol. And so we need to see what the answer is and what the solution was that Paul brought to this church in Corinth that was abusing uh, spiritual gifts. And what does he do? Well, he says in chapter 14 that we are all part of an interlinked, interdependent body. There's total equality in the body of Christ. No one is more superior or better than another. And Paul says he wants every part of the body functioning fully and completely. He says, in fact, and I love this translation from uh, the message. He says, being integrated and part of the body keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are part of. My significance comes from God and from being part of the body. I really need to challenge you this morning. Are you part of a body? Are you integrated? Are you know that you're loved and cared and part of a body 
that loves you, supports you, and that you know that you can minister the gifts of the Holy Spirit in total safety there, knowing that you're accepted and loved. That's what God wants of his body. He doesn't want the eye to say, I'm better than the, uh, <clears throat> the ear and vice versa. Paul lays that out in very, very lovely uh, language. We need to get our significance firstly from God and then from being part of the body. And Paul seamlessly links this in to exercising spiritual gifts in chapter 13. He says, this is the more excellent way. This is the best way. This is God's way. This is the agape love way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You can see the relevance there and the reference back to the, uh, the gods to worship by going around the streets banging their cymbals and gongs. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and, I will, and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have no love, I am nothing. If we want to know agape love, we need to, need to live firstly in God's love, we need to live in body ministry and enjoying relationship with each other and we need to exercise spiritual gifts with these particular criteria. With patience, never gives up. With kindness, cares more for others than for self. The second is the message translation. Without envy, doesn't want what it doesn't have, does not boast, doesn't strut, not proud, doesn't have a swollen head, not rude, doesn't force itself on others, not self-seeking, it isn't always me first, not easily angered, doesn't fly off the handle, keeps no record of wrongs, doesn't keep score of being wronged or sins of others, protects, trusts, hopes, preserves, never fails, it endures. Creates, agape love, creates an environment and culture of maximum encouragement, strengthening, edification, and impact. The most excellent way. A truly biblical, fully functioning, effective, healthy, impacting church will be expecting the Holy Spirit to speak and move, exercising spiritual gifts with agape love. That's, I believe, the sort of church that God desires and is seeking. You see, in conclusion, there was clearly, through agape love, reconciliation, restoration, recovery, and unity in the church at Corinth. That's the great news. 
After all this pain Paul went through, with three letters, a painful visit, there was restoration. And he writes in 2 Corinthians this lovely <coughs> comment. He declares that they give him great confidence, pride, encouragement, and joy. Agape love can, for us today, bring relational restoration, recovery, renewal, and reconciliation. Not just in church life, but in family life, in communities, in marriages, between churches. There's no limitations or lockdown on the Holy Spirit and agape love. Nothing in God's kingdom is beyond redemption. Do you believe that? God can redeem any situation. And he will use agape love primarily. Peter says, and this is from the message, most of all, love each other as if your life depends, depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Other versions say covers a multitude of sins. God can redeem any situation. Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. And he demonstrated this agape, selfless, self-sacrificing love in dying on the cross. And if you don't know what it is to be in relationship with God, I invite you this morning to look at the cross where reconciliation was wholly and truly and fully expressed. Jesus... When he died on the cross, died to bring us to a place where we could know what it is to be back in relationship with him. Our sin had caused and resulted in separation from him. But the cross brings restoration. It brings reconciliation. Do you believe that this morning? Do you enjoy that this morning? I know you can't shout amen, but there is reconciliation full and whole and total in the cross of Jesus Christ. I have... Oh, I'm getting carried away now. I have to finish there because that's the heart of the message of 1 Corinthians 13. It's the heart of the Bible. It's the heart of Scripture. And Jesus offers you this morning reconciliation back into relationship with Father God through his death and resurrection. That is reconciliation. Reconciled, I'm reconciled. I'm reconciled to God forever. No, he took away my sin. No, his love will leave me never. Reconciled, I am his child. 
I know it was on me he smiled. I'm reconciled. I'm reconciled to God. So this morning, I've been talking about spiritual gifts and the risk of our self-centeredness, of our superiority, our status getting in the way. Let's allow this agape love of God to fill us, to drench us. Let us live as people who know we're reconciled to God, who bring reconciliation wherever we go. And let's be a people and a church where the frozen life of spiritual gifts is defrosted and we see it again emphasized exercised in our church for the building up of one another for the encouragement of one another and for the common good i've said enough i think sorry if i've rambled on particularly to the children but i just wanted you to know that in 1 Corinthians 13, we see the most wonderful song of praise of love that shows us that agape love can make the difference. Truly, agape love changes everything. Amen.